Welcome to the Embrace Church podcast. We exist as a church to relentlessly reach the next person for Jesus. Wherever you're at today, we hope this message encourages you. Let's jump in. Hey, Embrace Church. How's everybody doing today? Pretty good. Okay, good. Uh, My name is Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here at Embrace, and I'm just thrilled to be with you, given the message uh, today, uh, we are in a series over the book of Esther, and man, there's just so much good stuff in this, this, uh, these chapters for us uh, today. But before we get into that, fun fact about me, uh, my grandma's name is actually Esther. And so growing up, I thought it was the weirdest name in the entire world. But like, aren't all grandparents' names kind of weird? Like I have a grandma Esther, and then I have a grandpa Albert, a grandpa Jean, and her grandma Floretta. And so, yeah, I had a grandma Flo, and she was passionate about me bundling and saving with Progressive. So just so if you were wondering. Um, but as we've been in this series, uh, I've got a new appreciation for the name Esther. Uh, the name Esther means star. So we have this little orphan girl who becomes the queen of Persia. She goes from obscurity to the star of the whole story. And that's why, if you got your book, there's a star on it. And even as the video that played before, it focuses in on a star. So we have a little bit of ground to cover. We're over halfway through the story. And so I want to get you caught up uh, this morning. Uh, This story about Esther, there's a king in it, and his name is King Xerxes. And he's looking for a new queen. And so he does this nationwide search for a queen, and he ends up finding this little young Jewish girl named Esther. Uh, There's also a villain in this story, a man named Haman. Haman is not a good man. He's the king's right-hand man, but he's deceivious, he's egotistical, and he hates Esther's cousin, another character named Mordecai. So every day, Haman, when he walks outside of the king's gates, everyone bows to him because he's this man of honor, except for Mordecai. Mordecai won't bow to Haman, and it is driving Haman nuts. So much so that he goes to the king, and he doesn't just ask the king to kill Mordecai. He says, I want you to kill all of Mordecai's people. I want you to kill all of the Jews. Well, this is devastating to Esther and Mordecai because they are both Jews, obviously. And so Mordecai says to Esther, he says, Esther, you've been made queen for just the time as this. You need to get together with the king. You need to get together with him and tell him that you are Jewish. She hasn't told him this yet. Tell him that you are a Jew and see if he will save our people. So that's where we've been. And we'll pick up the story today in chapter 5, verse 9. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. So he was happy and in high spirits because he had just got invited to this party with Esther and the king. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and he observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. So Haman goes home to his family and he's bragging about his wealth and his honor and all these amazing things that he's done. But then... To his family, he starts complaining about Mordecai. 
He says, but all this that I have, it gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and all of his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits, 75 feet, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up. Now, we've been talking about Haman in previous messages, how he is egotistical, he's arrogant, he is a narcissist. Uh, but today, I want to focus in on another character defect of Haman. Haman is a control freak. Let me just set this up for you. Haman is the king's right-hand man. He has all the power and wealth and fame. He has just been invited to the party of all parties with the king and the queen. Haman has manipulated and maneuvered his life and the lives of others in almost perfect precision. But he still has one thing in his life that he can't control. Mordecai. Mordecai refuses to give Haman honor, and it is literally driving him mad. Now, Haman is such a control freak that he decides to take this to the most extreme end. He is going to literally take Mordecai and put him on a pole, impale him on a pole so that he can control him, that he won't bother him anymore. Now, this is an extreme thing to do for any control freak. But what I want to convince you of today is we do something similar in our lives. We are always trying to set boundaries around things that we can't control in order to control them. Think about this. What do we do with uh, people that don't obey serious laws? We set boundaries around them. We put them in prison cells to control them, right? What do you do with your three-year-old toddler when they're running around Costco and you can't catch up to them? You throw them in the car seat and you buckle them in. We all know that buckle ain't there to keep them safe. That's for control, right? That's to get them in there to control them. We put boundaries around them so that we can control them. How about when your teenager gets their first cell phone? What's the first thing that we do? Put that tracking app on, right? That tracking app so we know where they are at all times. We put these boundaries around so that we can control them. And before you think, you're like, Travis, you don't understand. My teenager, not all control is bad, Right? It's not. Like, if we didn't have some control, our lives would be chaos, pure chaos. So control is not bad. It's only bad when we try to control everything. When we try to have 100% control. When we try to control things that are uncontrollable. Think about this. Why do you and I have anxiety? Are you like me? Like, I wake up in the middle of the night, and I just start thinking about things I can get back to sleep. I start worrying about stuff. I worry about, okay, so I got that thing at work that I forgot to do. I had this conversation. I don't think it went well. I feel like I'm kind of failing uh, as a dad. And I just have this anxiety as I'm waking up at night. Is our desire, when we wake up at night, we have anxiety. Is that just a desire to be in control? How about anger? Um, think about this. Like, well, why are we angry that we didn't get that? Raise. Why are we angry 
about what that person said about us? Why are we frustrated with our kids all the time? Doesn't most of our anger come from our desire to be in control? You know, often I can be having a great day, like the best day of best days, and then a little Mordecai pops up. Something that I can't control, and I get anxious. I get frustrated. I get angry because I want to be in control. Listen to this. This is the craziest thing about control. The need to be in control will end up controlling you. The need to be in control will end up controlling you. We think that control will give us security. We think that control will bring us peace. We think that control will make us happy. But chasing after control is like a dog chasing after its tail. You'll never catch it. We'll never be in complete control. Maybe we're anxious. Maybe we'll be angry because we're trying to control things that we were never meant to actually be in control of. You and I, were not God. We cannot control the thoughts and opinions of others. We cannot control what other people post online. We cannot control world events. We cannot control our family. We cannot control if it keeps snowing all the way into June. We cannot control if our neighbor mows their lawn at the right height. And this one scares me. We can't even really control the decisions that our children will make someday. We are not in control. And if we think that we need to be in control of all those things, do not be surprised when all those things start to actually control you. Let's continue on with the story. So the king, he wakes up one night and he starts reading the book of Annals, the record of his reign. And he's reading through all the stuff that's happened in his reign And he comes to the surprising thing. He finds out that Mordecai, Esther's cousin, he thwarted an assassination attempt on his life. Mordecai saved his life, and he didn't know about this. We talked about this in week week two. And so the king's like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I need to give Mordecai credit. I need to honor him for what he did. And so he's like, wow, what can I do? He's like, I'm going to call on my right-hand man, Haman. So he calls in Haman, and he tells Haman, he says, what should I do for the person that I long to honor? And remember, Haman's egotistical. He's narcissist. So who does he think he's talking about? He thinks he's talking about Haman. He's like, oh, God, the king wants to honor me. He's like, oh, king, give him the royal robe. Give him the royal horse. King, king, parade this person all around the city, just telling them how amazing they are. And then the king says to him, he says, go at once, the king commanded Haman, get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai, not Haman, the Jew who sits at the king's gate and do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He rode Mordecai and he led him on horseback throughout the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Haman ends up having to praise Mordecai in the way he wanted to be praised. Haman ends up having to robe Mordecai in the very robe that he wanted. Haman has to honor his enemy, the person he hates. 
This reminds me of something that Jesus once said. The last will be first, and the first will be last. If you want the place of honor, don't be surprised when you don't get it. If you want first place, don't be surprised when you are in last place. But if you pursue last place, God in this crazy upside down sort of way has a way of raising you up to first place. And if you pursue humility or dishonor, God has this way of raising you up and exalting you to the highest place. Um, I have a um, competitive streak in me. I started uh, coaching my son's um, basketball team. And so I, I played basketball a lot before, but I never coached uh, before. So I started coaching his team, and we're not winning a lot of games. And so every time I miss, they miss a shot or... They don't get back on defense or something like, I can just feel this, like this dormant thing that hasn't been there for a while, just rising inside of me. A few weeks ago, uh, the, the ref forgot to switch the possession arrow and he gave this team the same possession twice. And so I'm like, dude, you forgot to switch the possession arrow. And he yelled back at me, no, I didn't. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm a pastor. And I'm like yelling at this ref right now. I'm like, what am I, what I'm doing? So I said, I'm sorry, even though he was wrong. <laughs> Here's what I think Mordecai is trying to tell us. Don't chase first place. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those guys who's like, hey, let's not keep score and just give out participation ribbons. Like, there's nothing wrong with winning. I just think God is trying to tell us from this this, uh, story that he cares much more about humility than he does honor. He cares much more of us learning about last place and exalting us to first place. God knows that the best leaders are the ones who start at the bottom, the ones that have been humbled, the ones that didn't chase first place. And it's in humility that we become the person that's ready for honor. It's in taking last place that we become the type of person that can handle first place. Now, this is really difficult. I'm not good at this either. But I want to challenge us. Next time you feel like you've been humbled or next time you feel like you've taken last place, maybe someone said your idea was stupid or you said something dumb or you actually lost at something, here's my challenge for all of us. Accept it. Thank God for it. Because we have to remember, God wants to use humility to prepare us for honor. God wants to use last place to prepare us for first place. So don't chase after first place. God is much more concerned about our humbleness and our humility than he is about exalting us in those moments. Continuing on with the story. Uh, So Haman, he wants to kill Mordecai, but he ends up having to honor him. And we talked about this last week. And so Now Haman is going to this banquet. He's going to this party with the king and the queen. And we know that Mordecai has told the queen, he's like, hey, 
you've been made queen for just such a time as this. You need to use your influence to save our people. And so Esther's going to go to this party and she's going to present this stuff to the king. The only question is, will it work? So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you, even up to half the kingdom. It will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. This is the climax of the entire story right here. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? And Esther said, an adversary, an enemy. And just a manager pointing across the room, this vile Haman. So the king's furious that Haman has tried to pull this uh, behind his eyes. And so he walks out of the room and Haman's like, I'm done for, man. Like I am in deep trouble. So he literally falls on top of Esther, begging her, like begging her to save his life. And then the king walks back in. And the king exclaimed, it's getting real bad for Haman. Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And then one of the eunuchs attending the king said this, a pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. The king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Haman ends up being killed by the very pole he set up to kill Mordecai. Haman ends up being caught in the trap that he had set up for someone else. Now, what happens here, if we don't think about this, this is really astonishing. Haman had a lot going for him. Haman was a man, which was really important back in those days. He was a trusted advisor to the king. He had incredible wealth and he was powerful. Esther, she had a lot of things that were not going for her. She was a woman, she was young, she was Jewish, she was an orphan, and she had only recently become queen. So if you look at this scene as like two people having a political struggle before the king, you would say that Haman definitely has the upper hand. But the king trusts Esther instead. Why? Because Esther had more favor than Haman. Esther had more favor than Haman. Listen to what Esther says. If I have found favor with you, spare my people. Now, what does it mean to have favor? Favor just means that somebody trusts you, that they value you, and most importantly, that you have won them over. Few things are more powerful than favor. Well, I love minivans, uh, so much so that our family doesn't have one minivan. We have two minivans. I have one for my wife and one for myself. Here's a picture of the love of my life. 
My wife's also in the picture. But a few years ago, my minivan's a little bit older. It had a few issues, and I took it into the mechanic uh, to get it fixed, and they came back. It was going to cost, God, I can't remember. It was thousands of dollars to fix it, and I was like, oh, man, I don't really... This is an old vehicle. I don't really want to fix it. So I decided, you know what? I'm not going to fix this vehicle. I'll try to sell it and get something new. But then I talked to my mechanic, Eric, and he's like, he's like, yeah, you can do that. He's like, but honestly, I think if you fix it, you'll get a lot more good miles out of this vehicle. So I had something to think about. Like, I'm like, okay, I got to think about this now. So I go home and I talk to my wife about it pray about it. I write a pros and cons list about it. And I get on the internet and I research a bunch of stuff. And No, I actually didn't do any of that. Um, when Eric told me what to do, I listened to him. I said, yeah, let's do that. He didn't have to convince me. He didn't have to show me different things. I didn't have to get a second opinion. When he shared his opinion, I listened. Why? Eric's worked on my cars for years. I've known Eric for years. He's one of the most honest, generous, kind people I have ever met. I didn't need to go do any research because Eric had earned my favor. That's what Esther has. Esther was selfless. She was wise. She was humble. We are told over and over that she was attractive. I think that was much more than physical beauty. She had this magnetic personality about her. It's Esther's character. She didn't have the power. It was her character that earned her favor. Haman might have been the king's right-hand man, Haman might be wealthy. Haman might come with a family from high status, but Esther has the favor and favor always wins. Here's the deal. Uh, so many of us, we're trying to make stuff happen in this world. We're trying to build companies, raise families, heal brokenness, fight for causes, build relationships. And so often we try to do these things the way Haman does, with force. We use our power, our wealth, our status to manipulate people in situations, to fight for we want, to use force to make things happen. But this is what Esther teaches us. Favor is more powerful than force. Favor is more powerful than force. It's with her character that she earns favor. And with that favor, what does she do? She saves hundreds of thousands of Jewish lives. With that favor, what does she do? She defeats evil, the vile Haman. With that favor, what does she do? She changes the mind of the most powerful man on the earth at that time. Favor is more powerful than force. Our culture right now, we spend so much time fighting against that and fighting against that. And don't get me wrong, I believe we have battles to fight in this life. We all have battles to fight, but that's all we're doing is fighting battles and nobody is trying to earn the favor in other people's eyes. Imagine the good you could do for God in this world if you had favor in the eyes of the people around you. You might be able to change the toxic nature of your family with favor, not force. 
You might be able to create a better work environment at your job with favor, not force. You might be able to, to, to do some incredible cause that helps so many people with favor, not force. You might be able to save hundreds of people. You might be able to tell hundreds of people about Jesus Christ with favor, not force. Esther moves a mountain with her favor. Just imagine what you and I could do. But there is a problem with favor. You can't buy it. You can buy favors, but you can't buy favor. You can't take it. You can't read a self-help book to get it. You have to earn it. And you earn it with your character. Do you have favor in the eyes of those around you? And if you don't, ask yourself, what is missing from my character? What do I need to change from my character to get it? So that's the end of chapter seven. End of chapter seven. And some of the wisdom that we learned today, the need to be in control will end up controlling you. Don't chase first place. And favor is more powerful than force. We're getting to the end of the story, and a lot has happened up to this point, and it's starting to look pretty good for the Jews, like Haman is dead. But there's still one mystery. The book of Esther never talks about God. It seems like God is absent. It seems like he is not there. But as Adam's going to share next week, even though God might seem absent and seem like he's not there, his invisible hand has been moving the entire time. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this book, Lord. Oh, man, so much good stuff in it. We just pray that we would be people that do not need to be in 100% control like Haman because control ends up controlling us, God. We want to trust you. Please be, we don't want to be people that chase first place. We want to know that you desire humility for us because in humility, that's when we are raised up. And also help us to know that we have battles to fight, but one of the most powerful forces in the world is favor. And when we show by our character the person that we can be, it's amazing the mountains that you can move. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If today's message encouraged you or if there's someone who comes to mind that you think might need to hear today's message, take a moment now to share it with them. 